Hear the word of God from John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 873 in the Pew Bible. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, in an utterly brilliant move of worship planning months ago, I and the worship planning staff somehow decided that the thing to do on the Sunday that we observe the time change, when all of us would lose an hour of sleep, would be to have a service focusing on death and mortality. (laughs) Because if there is no greater joy for a preacher like myself, it is to not only preach to a congregation that has lost an hour of sleep, It is also for me to remind you that we're all going to (laughs) die. So aren't you glad you came to worship today, struggling out of bed as we all did? Because the truth of the matter is, 
the certainty of our death and mortality is a truth that most of us would rather ignore, if not deny altogether. We have developed so many systems and approaches for us to escape the certainty of our mortality, only to discover that like sandcastles, or ice sculptures, or skywriting in the clouds, every attempt we make to avoid our death and mortality ultimately fails. Today's sermon is not about what happens after we die. There are certain Christian convictions that we anchor ourselves to, but today's sermon is not about that. That's a sermon for another time. In fact, it's a sermon that I've preached before, back on November 20th, 2016, and you might choose to look up that video in our online archive sometime after you take a nap this afternoon. You might choose to do that. Today's sermon is also not about end-of-life planning. Although we continually reiterate the importance of making those decisions for your family on your behalf before you die as one of your last best gifts that you can give them. Instead, today's sermon is a simple reflection on how not to be afraid of death, on how to see death not as a source of fear, but as a mystery to embrace, and as something that we can embrace together in community. You all may have heard this Bible story from John before that Sue just read. It's a story of Mary and Martha, two sisters who were grieving the loss of their brother, Lazarus. And you know what happens. By the time Jesus finally shows up at Mary and Martha's house, He discovers a family in disarray, torn apart by their grief, grieving deeply in shock because they had an expectation that Lazarus would not have died. They had their systems in place. They had a timeline established in which Jesus, in their minds, would have shown up on time in which Jesus would have done for Lazarus what he clearly had done for masses of people before then, healed him, prevented him from dying, so that if Jesus had shown up on their timeline, according to their schedule and expectation, their brother should still be alive. But like sandcastles and ice sculptures and skywriting in the clouds, Even our best attempts at denying mortality somehow fade away. And so, Mary and Martha say these words to Jesus. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And you know, by the time they say that, they're really speaking on our behalf, aren't they? Because in those words, they echo something that is deeply resonant and continually disturbing within our own human condition. Because when it comes to death, we have been there. We know how hard it is to stand amid the ambiguity of our mortality, to claim on the one hand our certainty of our Christian beliefs that God has the power That in Jesus there is resurrection and new life, but there is a wide, wide gulf 
that separates the certainty and clarity of our Christian convictions and the undeniable uncertainty of our own mortality. When Mary and Martha say those words, we are speaking them along with them. It is not easy to confront the uncertainty of mortality. You might agree that one of the greatest comic strips of all time is Calvin and Hobbes. It is an enduring tale about a little boy and his best friend, a stuffed tiger doll named Hobbes. In what I think is one of the most poignant episodes in the entire series, Calvin and Hobbes discover one day a baby raccoon outside on the ground, hardly breathing. Calvin is distraught, and so he runs to get his mother. His mother shows up on the scene and scoops up the raccoon and wraps it up in a blanket and tucks it in a shoebox to keep it warm in their garage. Calvin offers to feed it his dinner, which would be a noble gesture, except, as his mother says, Calvin, you don't even know what we're having for dinner tonight. By the end of the nine-strip story arc, The raccoon has died, and Calvin is left to wrestle with how something like this could happen. And so in the final strip of this nine-strip series, he and Hobbes offer what I think is one of the most poignant conversations in the entire series, where Bill Watterson, the author, offers something of of a meditation on the nature of death. Calvin and Hobbes are walking in the woods, and Calvin tells his buddy, My mom says that death is as natural as birth, and it's all part of the life cycle. She says we we don't really understand it, but there are many things that we don't understand, and we just have to do the best we can with the knowledge that we have. In the second-to-last frame of that strip, Hobbes then says to Calvin, I guess that makes sense. And then in the final frame, Calvin hugs his buddy Hobbes tightly and says, but don't you go anywhere. To which Hobbes responds, don't worry. At the end of the day, friends, The one thing that endures, the one source of our comfort in the midst of our fear, is love. That's what Paul says time and time again, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, not even fear of death. God has given us the power of love that will endure to the end. And one of the greatest hopes that you and I have in the face of death is the gift of each other. It is the gift of community. It is the warm embrace of friends and family, the relationships that we tend, that we can hold tightly to, even when we are grieving the loss of loved ones, even when they die suddenly and shockingly. Just as Calvin and Hobbes exchanged a warm embrace and promised to be there for each other, God has given us the gift of community to face our future without fear. That's not the only thing we believe about death, of course. 
Of course we believe that death is not the final word. Of course we believe in the resurrection as given to us in Jesus. Of course we believe in eternal life and that once we step from this earth, we step into life eternal. Of course we believe in eternity and God's embrace. Of course we believe in the resurrection. But before we get to the raising of Lazarus in this story, There is something here in this moment with a grieving Mary and Martha and Jesus that John does not want us to miss. Yes, of course, at the end of the story, Lazarus is raised back to life. But that's a different sermon for a different day. That's a sermon for Easter morning. For now, we pause here. Rather than skipping ahead to the end of the story, we stay in this moment to recognize that Jesus shows up on His own schedule to offer a gift that Mary and Martha were not expecting. They had expected Jesus to show up on their schedule to raise Lazarus and prevent him from death. But instead, Jesus gives an even more astounding gift that is hard for us to comprehend in Luke I'm sorry, in John 11, verse 35, Jesus, Jesus weeps. He cries. What an astonishing moment for the Son of God to shed a tear. Certainly, if Jesus were fully human, this would not have been the only time he cried. I imagine there would have been many times that he had shed tears. We're told that he was moved with compassion time and time again throughout his ministry. But for some reason, in only this instance, John, of all the gospel writers, decides to record this moment when Jesus cries. Why? We wonder why Jesus might have cried in that moment. There's a part of us that wonders if Jesus had maybe been a little regretful for not showing up on time. Or maybe Jesus was just so moved by the fact that he had lost his friend and maybe he could have done something to prevent it. But maybe, maybe his tears were not shed out of remorse, but given as a gift. Because if Jesus himself, if the Son of God himself could cry, Maybe God is giving us permission to do the same. And if Jesus could share the fullness of his human emotion in the company of beloved family and friends, if Jesus himself could find solace in community, then maybe God is encouraging us to do the same. Yes, of course, Jesus would raise Lazarus to life. Yes, we believe in the resurrection and eternal life for those of us on this side of the grave. But before we get there, with every death, with every grief, with every embrace of uncertainty, let's remember, it's okay to cry, and there is solace to be found in community. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity. Just as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. I love that quote, because it reminds me that yes, we can believe in resurrection and eternal life, but we can believe it because because of the eternal life and resurrection, we can see things we would have otherwise missed. 
the joy of solidarity and the comfort of community that in each other, in the wake of the death of loved ones, we can find in each other hearts that are open with grief, strong shoulders for us to lean on to find solace, ready and listening ears for us to receive stories and memories, and for all of us to form together a communal vessel to contain our tears, tears that in fact have been blessed by a Jesus who shed the same. That is the gift of Christian community that the Holy Spirit has forged among us. Well, today is also a sit-together Sunday, and once again, in a brilliant move of worship planning from me and the staff. We decided on this Sunday, as we do a handful of other Sundays throughout the year, when we give our wonderful Sunday school volunteers the Sunday off, because it coincides with the start of spring break, we've invited our children, who would normally be in the Wesley Center during this hour, to be here in the sanctuary sitting with their families. So we welcome all of you children on this day when we're talking about death and mortality. A brilliant move on our part. And so, to the children who are here this morning, and to all of us who are children at heart, I'd like to remind us that it is okay to wonder about our death. If there is anything that you might be wondering about death, it is good for you to ask those questions of people that you love and trust. It is okay to ask your moms and your dads, your Sunday school teachers, your pastors and your staff here at the church, because we have all wondered those questions. We've all been Calvin, looking at a baby raccoon, wondering about death. And while there are no perfect answers to these questions, simply asking them of people that you trust can actually make your life easier. This is the premise, by the way, of a wonderful children's book that a member of our staff, that Sally, brought to us this past week as we were wrestling over how to integrate this particular topic with a sit-together Sunday. She brought us a book called Water Bugs and Dragonflies by a children's author named Doris Stickney. I'm going to invite uh, Kristen Passeth, our wonderful director of children's ministries, to come on up, and she's going to read this story, not just to all of our children in the sanctuary today, but to all of us who are children at heart. And you'll see the illustrations that have been given to us, uh, permission given to us by the publisher to show on the screens as she reads along. It is a story of a beautiful pond full of water, full of water bugs who live in the water below the surface. And and one day they begin to wonder what might have happened to one of their water bug friends. Down below the surface of a quiet pond lived a little colony of water bugs. They were a happy colony, living far away from the sun. For many months, they were very busy, scurrying over the soft mud on the bottom of the pond. They did notice that every once in a while, one of their colonies seemed to lose interest in going about with its friends. Clinging to the stem of a pond lily, 
it gradually moved out of sight and was seen no more. Look, said one of the water bugs to another, one of our colony is climbing up the lily stalk. Where do you suppose she's going? Up, up, up it went, slowly. Even as they watched, the water bug disappeared from sight. Its friends waited and waited, but it didn't return. That's funny, said one water bug to another. Well, wasn't she happy here? asked a second water bug. Where do you suppose she went? wondered a third. No one had an answer. They were greatly puzzled. Finally, one of the water bugs, a leader in the colony, gathered its friends together. I have an idea. The next one of us who climbs up the lily stalk must promise to come back and tell us where he or she went and why. We promise, they all said solemnly. Well, one spring day, not long after, the very water bug who had suggested the plan found himself climbing up the lily stalk. Up, up, up he went. Before he knew what was happening, he had broken through the surface of the water and fallen onto the broad green lily pad above. When he awoke, he looked about with surprise. He couldn't believe what he saw. A startling change had come to his old body. His movement revealed four silver wings and a long tail. Even as he struggled, he felt an impulse to move his wings. The warmth of the sun soon dried the moisture from the new body. He moved his wings again and suddenly found himself up above the water. He had become a dragonfly. Swooping and dipping in great curves, he flew through the air. He felt exhilarated in the new atmosphere. By and by, the new dragonfly lighted happily on a lily pad to rest. Then it was that he chanced to look below to the bottom of the pond. Why, he was right above his old friends, the water bugs. There they were, scurrying about, just as he had been doing some time before. Then the dragonfly remembered the promise. The next one of us who climbs up the lily stalk will come back and tell where he or she went and why. Without thinking, the dragonfly darted down. He hit the surface of the water and bounced away. Now that he was a dragonfly, he could no longer go into the water. I can't return, he said in dismay. At least I tried, but I can't keep my promise. Even if I could go back, none of the water bugs would know me in my new body. I guess I'll just have to wait until they become dragonflies too. Then they'll understand what happened to me and where I went. And the dragonfly, he winged off happily into its wonderful new world of warm sun and fresh air. And so there was a water bug named Mary and a water bug named Martha who had wondered what had happened to their beloved brother Lazarus. 
But for now, all they had was each other, them and all of the other water bugs living under the surface of their uncertainty. But Jesus was with them. Jesus was not only with them, Jesus was commiserating with them to remind them that even though they could not see above the surface to see what had happened to Lazarus, they were there together, crying, weeping, loving, and supporting each other through all of their uncertainties. So that just as Calvin and Hobbes exchanged a warm embrace in the mystery of death, God has given us the gift of each other to do the same. And for any of us today who are staring into the mystery of the grave, let us acknowledge that we have each other as well. God is among us, and God has given us a spirit of love that can cast our fears. I want to give you a couple practical resources as well, especially on this sit-together Sunday with our children present. We've developed this very helpful insert that's in your bulletin this morning. It's helpful particularly for families with children, but for any of us who are dealing with this uncertainty. It's called Talking with Children About Grief and Dying. We invite you to take this home and read through it and use it as a conversation starter with anybody that you know who might be needing some fresh perspective and some helpful resources. Six ways that you can help a grieving child, common responses that children might have in the wake of death, on the back side, what not to say or do. And then at the bottom, an additional resource for all of us, our website, where once again, as we have done through each of these Sundays during the series, put together a list of spiritual resources and Bible verses that you can look at the next time you are dealing with the uncertainty of death and mortality. HydeParkUMC.org slash Lent. And of course, I would remind all of us that your pastoral team and your staff here at the church is ready and available to speak with you and your loved ones for any pastoral care or spiritual guidance you might need as we march through these difficult days into the promise of the resurrection. I want to remind all of you that you are not alone in your deepest and most profound questions. We are, we are here for each other in the bond of Christian community and love. And whatever eternal life looks like down the road, whatever dragonfly life might look like for us beyond the grave, we will find out someday. But for now, we join our hearts together in looking through that glass dimly. And know that in God's love, we are not alone. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life and the promise of the resurrection. But we also thank you for the gift of your companionship and love that sustains and supports us through the darkest and most difficult questions of our lives. We thank you that in Jesus we have someone who understands our pain, who himself exhibited through his own tears an acknowledgement of what it means to be human. As we make this journey through Holy Week and into the glory of the resurrection, transform our tears, receive our grief, and let us find solace in one another so that our mourning can be turned into celebration 
and our hopelessness turned into promise. For all these things we are grateful, praying especially for anyone on this morning who was grieving the loss of loved ones on this day, and for any of us today who are confronting the the cold, hard reality of the finiteness of our own lives. We lift all of this up to you. Thank you for your love. May it sustain us during these days. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, and let all God's people say, Amen.